All right. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> I do. I've done this sex talk like close to a decade now, and Jordan or Kyler just came. It's like, hey, can you do your sex talk again? Like it's turning into a thing. It didn't start out to be a thing. I mean, I got three kids, and we've had the talk. Uh, <clears throat> I'm assuming you understand the plumbing of it, so we're not going to go that route. But we're going to try to think of, hey, there's. Uh, there's deeper things going on than just the physical activity that we want to understand. So some preachers, uh, when they're talking, they bring up some water in case they get a dry throat. I brought up cake in case they get hungry. Uh, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Yeah, Ian, I guess Ian said it's waiting, dating, or mating, but it's just a relationship series. Uh, how many in here are single? Heck yeah. I'm, okay. <laughs> single and excited. All right. I just love the contentment. Uh, how many are in here who are dating? Is it awkward, like, you, you raised your hand thinking you're dating somebody and they didn't raise their hand? Did that happen? Because that would have been really awkward. Anybody in here married? Okay. All right. We got a few married people. Jordan and Ellie just had a baby. So it's exciting. It's like, you get the sex talk. Obviously, you could have done this, but uh, uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys. Um, and it's, it's like one of those things where it's weird, it's awkward, uh, but it, we need to talk about it. And sadly, it's something our world talks about all the time, and the church rarely talks about it. Or the message you do get from the church uh, is not a very compelling message. Um, we live in a sexually obsessed world. Um, it's everywhere. It's all around you in a very distorted way, whether it's commercials, television shows, um, everything on your social media is sexualized. There's a saying in advertisement that sex sells because it's true. If you want to get more clicks or you want to get more attention to something, you sexualize it. Uh, if you watch commercials, it's like, is, is this like a shampoo commercial, or is this a porno? Like, it's just kind of like getting really weird uh, chips. Anything that you can think of gets sexualized. The television shows that um, are put before us are ridiculous. Like, who sat in a brainstorming room and says, hey, naked and afraid, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put two strangers in the woods, and let's have them be naked, and like, Make a show about that. Like, who, why do we do that? Um, there's this obsession uh, with sex, but we are designed uh, as sexual people. We have um, sex is needed for procreation, but we also have desires and urges. It's part of how God made us. But in our sin, we distort it. Uh, the pornography business uh, is a bigger business than every professional sports industry combined. Um, so if you wonder if they're doing well as far as do they have a market, uh, yes. And it's ridiculous how much money the pornography industry brings in. And this isn't, this isn't a message like porn is bad. Hopefully you get that. Like that'll mess you up um, in big ways, like ways that you don't quite understand because you feel like it's not hurting anybody, but it's hurting you. Mentally, it'll, it'll really screw you up. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that um, in a sense to scare anybody or to make you think that God's grace is not sufficient or his uh, saving power can't break the chains of sin. It can. Um, but 
that shouldn't make us look and be like, oh, well, then it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. And we should have our guard up against the sexual dysfunction in our world and try to have a better idea of how do we navigate it. But like I said, we're all made with sexual desires. Um, but in our sin, we distort that. And I'm not going to get it. It would be great if we had another week to get in this. But there are unique ways that men sin sexually. And there are unique ways that women sin sexually. And there is toxic masculinity and there is toxic femininity. And in our sexual perversion there, we have our own expressions of distorting what is a beautiful gift from God. But we have to understand what is this gift. When it comes to sex, it feels like we're really obsessed, but we're also confused. We don't really know how to handle it. It's like giving a toddler a, a power drill. And it's like, that's cool, and it makes noise, but you don't know how to use it. Um, and when it comes to sex, like, this is exciting, um, but we're not quite sure if we really understand what was the intent from the designer. Um, so we can be obsessed, but we're also confused. I thought it was kind of interesting uh, several years ago. This is quite a few years ago. So this kind of tells you how long I've been talking about uh, this. But this example was fresh. I think the first time I gave this talk to students in Iowa City. Um, but it was around the Super Bowl time. So does everybody do relationship talks around this time in Salt Company? Okay, probably why. Uh, it was around the Super Bowl time. How many guys think the Eagles are going to win? Did you fill out the chart? Yeah. Any Eagles fans? Yeah. Chiefs? Yeah. Chiefs? Anybody here just rooting for chicken wings? Like, I just, just okay, we just did that. All right. So this was around the Super Bowl time, uh, and we're watching the Super Bowl. And it's one of those things where it's fun to watch. Like, I hate Super Bowl parties because it's like, especially being a pastor, I should be more friendly. But during the game, like, people want to talk, and it's like, we could talk, or it's third and short. We could watch the game, and I want to watch the game. But uh, whenever you have Super Bowl parties, it can be awkward because when you talk about sexualized commercials, boy, Super Bowl seems to be the main time, and you're like, Who's got the remote? I don't know if we should turn this off or what's going on. But there was a commercial. Uh, it was the interesting that they, these two commercials came back to back. Because there was a commercial about um, sexual, uh, it was anti-domestic violence, about sexual abuse, kind of a, um, an informational warning type commercial. But then the commercial that came on right after it, this is dating this illustration a little bit, was an advertisement for a new movie called Fifty Shades of Grey. And, like, it's a book about kind of weird. Okay, you guys know. You're nodding. Like, did you read it? I hope not. But, okay, you're familiar with it. But seeing those two, like, back to back, like, we're going to warn you about this because there's a danger and there's a problem in our world. Then we're going to advertise a movie that celebrates it. And really there's a systemic problem in our country when it comes to sex because there's so much confusion on it. We have, it's, you see sex exploited in every TV show, celebrated, never shown consequences or anything. It's just uh, glorified. And then you have all these sexual problems around it. And it's like, that was just such a wonderful example of like, we are lost. <laughs> like, we are such a confused people. Uh, there was uh, an example, C.S. Lewis, uh, uh, a dead theologian, pastor, writer, guy. Uh, you guys know who C.S. Lewis is? Yes. Okay, it's good. Uh, he, he gave an illustration one time. He's like, if you went to a foreign country, and at that country they had like kind of uh, pictures of food everywhere, where it's like, oh, well, you've been to America. Cause that's what, uh, but he says, and then you go into uh, a dark lit bar, and there's a stage on the bar, and everybody's kind of drinking around this bar, and they wheel out a cart on the bar, and it's 
It's a plate of food that's covered by a blanket. And somebody kind of slowly lifts up part of the blanket and gives you a little peek at the mashed potatoes, and then they put it down, and then they kind of slowly give you a little peek at the burger. So, and everybody's like hooting and hollering, and it's like, whoa, this is like going nuts, throwing money up on the stage. You'd say, like, I think this culture has an unhealthy uh, relationship with food. It's like everybody would say that. It's like, but that is such a picture of how we treat sex or sexuality. Like if you look at our culture, if we're not even getting into the idea of what do you think is right or wrong, you could say, like, I think there's an unhealthy expression of sex in our culture. It's everywhere. Um, and we're confused and we're obsessed, but we're also frustrated. Um, and there's a lot of problems behind it. And I think it's because we don't understand it. We think we do, but we don't understand it. Um, we, we love it, but we, we can't handle it. In fact, how many of you guys have watched The Bachelor? Okay, you probably shouldn't raise your hand. That was a trick question. No, you're like, I love that show. Maybe you shouldn't. I'm just going to say that. Maybe you shouldn't. Uh, But uh, you're like, I just feel so judged. A little bit. All right. Uh, There was the bachelor that was on Jimmy Kimmel. He came, uh, or or I don't know if it was the bachelor or bachelorette. And they was talking about during the show, she obviously slept with several men. And before she picked the one that she was madly in love with and wanted to spend the rest of her life with. And Jimmy Kimmel addressed, like, okay, well, you were intimate with these three dudes. But the way he justified this was the line. I think this is what our culture embraces. It's like, well, you got to drive it before you buy it. And the, the audience laughed, uh, and she kind of chuckled, and like, yeah. And I just, like, audibly yelled at the TV, which happens sometimes, um, you're not a car. <laughs> like, this, that doesn't, it doesn't work that way. You're not an automobile. You don't drive it before it buys it. But that seems like capture our view of sex. And I think the problem is that the more, majority of people, we don't know how to make love. We want to. We like it. It's exciting. It's appealing. But we're ignorant. We're ignorant. We don't know how to make love. Um, love is something that you make. We think, oh, it's just, you just fall in love. Even that phrase, you fall in love. We are such an emotionally driven people that even our approach to love, it's all just like trust your heart, follow your feelings. What does your heart tell you? Well, the scripture tells us that our heart is deceitful and following our heart can get us into all kinds of trouble. But when it comes to love, we're just like so feeling driven. But that's not how you make love. You can make lust that way. You can make a mess that way. You can get into all kinds of problems. But That's not how you make love. So how do you make love biblically? That's what we want to look at because sex is God's idea. It's not a bad thing. Sex is a, is a beautiful thing. And I hate it when the message that comes from the church seems to be like, sex is bad, stay away from it. And this, this idea of like sexual freedom and fun exists in the world but not in the church. It's like, no, who came up with sex? Not a trick question. Yeah, it's his idea. It's a great idea. I love that he came up. Like, it gives us a window into this creative, joyful, loving God that he came up with that. But we take his idea, and it's like, we just botch it up. Um, So we need to say, like, all right, God is good. He knows what he's doing. So when it comes to sex, what are you doing? Like, what do you want us to do? How do we make love biblically? So uh, the illustration is kind of, you think of this cake. Uh, there are ingredients that goes into this cake. There's a process that goes into this cake, and you have to follow it to get cake. And if you don't follow it, you get something you don't want to eat. Um, or you can get some stuff that tastes sweet, but it's going to make you sick. Um, so you've got to follow the recipe. Well, what's the recipe when it comes to making love? And here's the big question. 
that I think sex fits under. Uh, all of life fits under, but we're going to apply it to sex. If God gave you a recipe, would you follow it? That's what it comes down to. Because you have your own ideas and your own desires that you want to follow. You have your own heart crying you to do things. But if God gave you a recipe, would you follow it? Would you have the disposition and the humility to say, all right, I think you know more than I know. I'm going to go with what you said. So if that's the case, when it comes to making love, what does God say? What are the instructions that he gives us? So I want to talk about how to make love uh, or how to have great sex. So if you're like, what did you learn at Salt Company? We learned how to have great sex. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Um, So take good notes. Uh, This is going to come in handy. And this is God's recipe. So here's the first thing you need to understand. Uh, There's more to sex than the plumbing of it. Okay? There's more to sex than the plumbing of it. this is why I think we are so sexually confused and frustrated. We've just turned it into plumbing. We look at sex as it's just a physical thing. It's just physical. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Um, but, it, but it's not true. It, here's an example of it. Think about it. If somebody is just physically assaulted, um, why do we think being sexually assaulted is, is such a greater crime? If somebody just goes up to somebody, punches them in the face takes the purse, kicks them a few times in the ground. They were physically assaulted. But if they rape that person, that is a higher intensity of a crime. Because you're not just a body. And sex is not just physical. There's something meaningful and special and sacred about it. And maybe we're obsessed with sex because there's something special about it and we're confused on what that is or we don't treat it as special as it is. Because listen... You are more than just a body. I want you to get that. You are more than just a body. And sex affects more than just your body. You have a mind. You have a soul. And you can do things with your body where your body is saying, that was awesome. (laughs) But your mind and your soul just feel abused and wrecked and troubled and frustrated. And you're like, what's going on here? And you try to make sense of that. And maybe some of you have been there where you've had some nights where it's like, that was fun and exciting. But the next day, you're just like, what did we do? Why do I feel so cheap? Why do I feel empty? Why do I feel broken? Why, where is this coming from? Why, why did my body love something, but yet my soul and my mind and my heart just feel empty afterwards? And how do we have sex where both our body and soul enjoy it? Because that's the design of it. That's what we want to get to. How do we have sex for both our body and our soul? So if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Um, We're not going to really preach this book at all. There's some observations I want to draw out of this book um, that are seen in here specifically, but also seen all throughout Scripture that I think has a good point to make when it comes to sex. So Song of Songs, it's a very debated book. Um, it's, it's an unusual book. If you just read this, you might be like, what is this doing in the Bible? Uh, if you drew, grew up in the Old Testament in a Jewish home, you weren't even allowed to read this book until you're like 15. You're just like, nope. <laughs> that's the forbidden book. This is like in the rated R section of the Torah or in the Old Testament. It's like, don't go there. Um, but there was a coming of age where you did read this book, and it's, um, it's kind of a collection of songs, like it's Song of Songs, like the best of songs. And it's a picture of sexual love. 
Um, it's almost like people texting back and forth love notes to each other throughout this whole book. There's these, uh, a collection of these songs. Uh, and there's some weird sweet talk that doesn't quite make the cultural translation. At one point, the guy calls his girl a horse, uh, but in a good way. It's like, you, you're such a stallion. And it's like, I don't, I don't know how to take that. Uh, but she took it well. Uh, there's a time where he compares her nose to a tower. Like, this is sweet talk. How many, of you, how many of you are dating again? All right, dudes, I want you to try that tonight. Like, baby, your nose is such a tower. Just see how it plays. Just throw it out there. See how it goes. Um, but this is sweet talk. Here, here's one. Uh, I, I'll, just, I'll read this one to you because if I just told you, you probably wouldn't believe me. Uh, this is chapter 6, verse 6. He says, your teeth are like a flock of ewes. They have come up from the washing. All of them bear twins. Not one among them has lost its young. Do you know what he's saying? Baby, you got all your teeth. <laughs> I love it. She's like, that's like the kind of sweet talk that's happening in this book. Uh, but this book is a celebration of sexual love as God wants it to be. And in it, we see his recipe. Like, like you get all these kind of love notes that are being passed here in this relationship. But you also, you learn a couple of things. Sex is a beautiful thing that God has created for us to enjoy. But there is a way he wants us to enjoy it. And there's a way that sinful people distort it and don't enjoy it. And in this kind of interaction, we see um, some things that are important when it comes to us making love in a way that our, both our body and our soul uh, enjoy. So we're not going to go through the whole book. Go home, read it, take a cold shower. Um, but I do want to point out something we see in this book that instructs us when it comes to making love. There's a process to it. That's the first thing you need to know. There is a process to it. At several points in the book, it says, do not stir up or awaken love until, until it's ready. Like, that's a repeated phrase throughout the book. Like, you have these kind of, boy, it's getting hot in here, right? And then at the end of the paragraph, it says, do not stir up or awaken love until it's ready. And it's not like, stop it, sex is wrong. It's saying, hey, let it cook. Let it cook. It's not ready. Like, you take that cake out of the oven, it's not done yet. It's not ready to eat. Like, this love is not ready to consume sexually. Like, yeah, I, you guys are expressing desire for each other, but you're not ready to experience sexual desire to each other. Like, it's not, it's not cooked yet. Um, so don't stir it up or awaken it until it's ready. But when it's ready, enjoy it. But you got to wait until it's ready. So there is a process to it, um, and there are ingredients to it and a recipe to follow. And here's where we see the ingredients. Uh, in English, we only have one word for love, love. So we use it for everything. Um, and we just kind of have to have context. Like, I love my wife. I love God. I love my kids. I love tacos. I love taco pizza from Casey's. Sometimes I love it late at night when I shouldn't, right? It's like, I love football. And it's like, do you, okay, is it fair to use that same word to those two? Like, I don't love tacos like I love my wife. But it's just, it's, we only got one word. So we just kind of use it for everything, and you got to use context and other things to try to make sense of it. Like, I could tell Jordan, like, if I, if I tell Jordan, I love you, man. And I do. I say that to him sometimes. But the fact that I put man on the end of it helps, doesn't it? <laughs> it's kind of like, I love you like a brother. But if I were to walk up to Jordan, caress his cheek, and just say, I love you. 
that would be confusing, <laughs> right? So it's like context in the English language helps us make sense of what's meant and how we're using it, those situations. Well, in the languages of the, of the Bible, we actually have different words that help us understand what are you talking about. Now, context helps as well, but when they have different words, it helps color in what we're talking about. Um, so there are different, uh, I want to share three different uh, Greek and Hebrew words for you, and this isn't like, wow, he's smart. I'm not. Uh, but this helps us understand what, what is being given to us for recipe when it comes to making love. We've got to be like, well, what kind of love do you put in it? What, what kind of love do we need to enjoy um, making love? Like, how do you make it? Well, you need these three different kinds of love to make the love that God wants us to taste and to enjoy and to experience. Um, the first kind of love, is, in Hebrew, it's dode, uh, or in Greek, it's eros. Anybody can guess what type of love that's describing? Anybody study, like, Greek gods, eros? It's where we get our word erotic. Anybody want to take a stab? It's sex. It's sex. Ero it's eros, dode, sexual love. Um, here, here's a, a couple places in the book where it's used. This is 416. Awake, O north wind, and come, O south wind, blow upon my garden. Use your imagination. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choice fruits. That beloved, this is dode. This is the type, it's, he's, they're talking about sexual love here. Um, or in 5.1, it says, I came to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gathered my myrrh with my spice. I, I ate my honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. Eat, friends, drink, and be drunk with love, with dode. They're talking about sexual love here. Um, so dode or eris is talking about sexual love, but there's also another type of love that gets used in this book and throughout uh, the Bible, and it's called ryah, um, or the Greek word is phileo. Um, it's where we get the word for Philadelphia, which is the city of what? City of what? Brotherly love. The city of the eagles. Yeah. It's a true statement. Uh, it's the city of brotherly love. So phileo or raya is talking about a brotherly type of love, a friendship type of love. You see this in uh, 516. It says, his mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. Uh, could be translated lover as well, but the, the word, raya, communicates a friendship type of love. Um, so that's why they translate it friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So there's a friendship type of love. Um, but there's also another type of love called ahava in Hebrew, or it's agape uh, in Greek. Anybody heard this before? Agape type of love? Um, it's a love of the will. So it's not talking about sexual love, and it's not talking about friendship love. It's talking about a love of the will. Uh, it, it's a covenantal kind of love. So the picture where we get this to be lived out in our lives is marriage, um, that we are to have a love of the will. That's why, like, when you have marriage vows, you say things like, uh, in sickness and health, for richer, for poorer, tell death do as part type of language because you're making a covenant. You're saying, I will love you even when it's hard, even if we're rich, even if we're poor, even if we're sick, even if like whatever, I'm, I'm making a pledge to love you and I will honor my pledge. And that this is meant to be lived out in marriage. Now we miss this in our society and we often treat marriages not like covenants, but like contracts. We treat them like we're making a contract. Like, hey, as long as you're good to me, I'll be good to you. 
And as long as you stay faithful to me, I'll stay faithful to you. As long as you treat me well, I'll treat you well. That's not a covenant. It's a contract. And that's not what marriage is. Now, it never feels like that on the wedding day. I mean, can you imagine, like, if those are your vows? Like, you get up there and just people are just straight honest. Listen, if you don't gain more than 30 pounds and you keep all your hair, this is going to work, right? But if you do this, you know, then I'm out. Like, those would be so unromantic. Um, so we, we speak covenant language on our wedding day, but we also we often live out contract language in our marriages. That's not what's meant to be. Our, our marriages are meant to be a picture of covenantal love. Like, I will love you. And here's why that's so important or so sacred. Or, or let, me, let me show you where it's in Song of Solomon. This is 8, uh, 6, and the first part of 7. It says, Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, jealousy as fierce as the grave. It flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. They're saying, nothing can stop my ahava. Nothing can stop my will and commitment to love you. They're not talking about sexual love there. He's talking about a devotion to somebody else. And this devotion is to be seen in our marriages. And here's why it's so important. Because when the Bible talks about the way that God loves us, it's ahava. It's agape. Now, why is that so cool? Because God is making a pledge to love us. He's making a promise, and God is a promise keeper. And it's the type of pledge of like, hey, when you're struggling or when you're doing well, when you're sick or when you're healthy, when you're prosperous or when you're struggling, I'm pledging to love you. And God is a promise keeper. Isn't that good news? Like on your bad days, you can remember like the way that God loves me is not just based on a feeling. It's based on a promise. It's based on a commitment. And God keeps his word and he has a love of the will. I'm in a covenant, and he's not going to bail on me. So when our marriages, when, when we, we just run when it's hard, the reason that's so offensive, it's like, no, your marriage is supposed to be a picture of the way God loves us. Did I scare you with that? Sorry. That was like dramatic. Because it's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. It's like, no, this is supposed to be a picture of God's love for us. It doesn't quit. So don't you quit. And it's like, well, it's hard. I know it's hard. That's the point. That's the illustration. You're hard to love, but God still loves you. So give your marriage a picture of God's love. Like your marriage, this is what scripture would tell you, your marriage isn't about you. It's not about your happiness. It's about you displaying the way God loves us in your marriage. And he has this love of the will. So we get these three different loves in the book of Song of Songs. We get Dode, we get Rayah, and we get Ahava. See, love is not a one word fits all. And we struggle with that in English. There are layers to it. And what we need to know is that when it comes to making love, we need all three. If you want to make love the way God intends us to, to experience it, to taste it, then you need all three. And there's a process. Listen, this is how you make love the way God wants us to taste it. But here's what, here's what often happens. Um, people don't follow the recipe. right? They just wing it. It's like, oh, I'll just do this. This feels good. This is what I want. Uh, and they just kind of make their own... Uh, they, make, they, they make a mess. Um, but there is a recipe for making love, and it demands all three. And when you don't use all three, you don't taste what God wants you to taste. You don't experience what God wants you to experience. So some people just go right to dode. <laughs> it's like, 
I just want, I just want sex. I just want pleasure. I just want, uh, I just want to hook up, right? This is just, that's all that they like. And Dode, it's like this hookup culture, and it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's like I want cake, but I just eat a spoonful of sugar. It's like, well, that was sweet, and that makes you sick, and you get diabetes, right? Like it's like this not, yeah, it went, it was great going down, but that's not the recipe. And sometimes people only just have Dode, and it's it's a mess. Or you have Dode. And then you have Raya. So it's like uh, friends with benefits. Hey, we're friends. We care about each other. We've known each other for a long time. We're both mature adults. Um, let's enjoy each other. Or, or sometimes this is marriage, but it's a contract. There's no love of the will. It's just you made a contract, and we have a good relationship, and sex is part of our relationship. But even that, God's like, that's not my recipe. That's not the love that I want you to experience. Like, you're totally missing out on that. Because there's no commitment. So if things go wrong, right, you can say, like, well, the relationship doesn't exist anymore. But I gave myself to that person. Like, we, we had dode. <laughs> we had that kind of sexual love. And now they're late. Like, there's no commitment to stay there. And you just have Dode and Raya, but no Ahaba. It's friends with benefits. It's a contract marriage. And God said, That's, that does, you, you're not tasting what I want you to taste. Or sometimes you have marriage where it's like, hey, we made a covenant. I'm going to love this person through thick and thin. Um, and we have sex. <laughs> and you're just roommates. Right? It, it Maybe if more married people in here, you, you'd nod your head or you could look at your parents and you feel like they live together and function. I don't know if you like each other. Like, I don't know if you have a, have a friendship. You're like, even that, God is like, that's not what I had in mind for marriage. That's not, that's not the kind of love I want you to taste. Yeah, you're committed, but, and you have sex, but you're not, you're not friends. Or sometimes somebody's like, oh, we're married. We got Ahaba and we got Raya. We're friends. We just, I can't remember the last time we made love. And a lot of marriages are like that. Where it's just like, yeah, we enjoy each other. And, and we're, I know he's committed. I know she's committed. But there's no sex. And God will look at that. And it's like, that's not my recipe. That's not tasting love the way I cooked it up. Like, it's great. I made this thing. I, I planned it out. And you're not experiencing it the way I want you to experience it. See, if we want to make love the way that God intends it, we need all three. You need raya, you need ahaba, and you need dod. And people tend to experience love with just one or two of these flames at a time, and they're left wanting. They're left frustrated. But these three flames are meant to burn together in a certain progression. You have some raya. You learn to love somebody as friends. And then you have some ahaba. You make a commitment and you enter a covenant together. And you're like, this person is with me, thick or thin, like tough times, good times, I can rely on them. And then in that context, you experience lots and lots of dode. Like that's the recipe that God has given us to follow. Guys, the problem with sexual love in our world is not that it's happening all over the place. It's that it's happening all over the place wrong. 
It's, people are messing it up. People don't really know how to make love. Not the way God intended. You got a bunch of messed up recipes out there and people are eating it up. They're eating it up. But they're not satisfied. They're not content. And they're frustrated. And we, we live in a world that's very sexually obsessed and very sexually confused because we don't follow God's recipe. And God who came up with it is like, you're not even doing it right. You're not, you're not cooking it the way I intended to. You're not tasting what I have for you to taste. And it's a disappointment. And you ask anybody that has done it the way God has laid it out in Scripture, they're going to say, it's a beautiful thing. It's awesome. And you ask anybody that has not followed the recipe God laid out, that comes to know it, they will say, I would give anything to go back and do it differently. And I can't undo the hurt that has happened in that. God's grace is sufficient, but if I could go back, I would totally do it the way God planned it. Like, God knows what he's talking about. So when it comes to all of life, but specifically when it comes to sex, if God gave you a recipe, would you follow it? Would you trust him? And it's not, hey, sex is fun and Christianity is this killjoy. And out there where people are free to do whatever they want, sleep with whoever they want, whenever they want, like that's freedom. It's not. It's not freedom. It's a lie. And it has consequences and it will hurt and it will do damage to your soul. But sex is something that God invented. And he wants you to enjoy it. And he has made a recipe for you to enjoy it. So start out with some raya. Build a friendship. And then make a covenant. Enter into ahava, a love of the will, a commitment. And in that context, enjoy sexual intimacy. And it's sweet. It tastes great. Guys, I want to leave you with this. Because we live in a sexually obsessed culture, I need to say this. Sex isn't everything. We tend to elevate it like it's everything. Like if you can't express yourself sexually, you're missing out. Or you tend to identify yourself based on your sexuality. You are not defined by your sexual urges. Sex is not everything. And don't buy into it in a culture that tries to define you sexually or think that if you are not doing X, Y, or Z that you are missing out. We can overhype up sex it is a great thing, but it's not everything. And sex has a practical purpose, like it is meant to procreate. But God made something that was needed and practical, pleasurable on purpose. Because sex points to something beyond sex itself. Sex points to something is super sweet and enjoyable and exciting and fulfilling inside a covenant relationship with somebody who loves you. But it's pointing to something like that beyond a human relationship. What it's pointing to is if you enter into a covenant relationship with God who loves you with agape, ahaba type of love, and you're in a committed relationship with him, there is sweetness, pleasure, contentment to be found. Don't exalt sex as some kind of fulfillment of life. God is the fulfillment of life. And sex is just an illustration that there's something wonderful waiting for you that's pleasurable and enjoyable 
in, in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why it's pointing to that. Let me read you just one passage to kind of close the night that sometimes we miss out on. We think sex is going to fulfill us. Sex is going to define us. This is Psalm 16. At the very end of the psalm, verse 11, he says, you, talking to God, make known to me the path of life. Think about that. God, you make known to me the path of life. You, God of this universe, God who created sex, who, who made stars, who made mountains, you made known to me a broken, sinful person. As in without you, I would not know this. You made it known to me, the path of life. I'm trying to find life. I'm knocking on all kinds of doors. I'm chasing it everywhere, and I'm ignorant, but you, you open the door. Like, I know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior because of you. You made that known to me. How awesome is that? But then he goes on to say this. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are what? Pleasures forevermore. I said at what? Like it's on the screen. You don't know. You should memorize this verse, though. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. If you want real satisfaction and pleasure, it's found in a relationship with God. And any other pleasure offered in this world is just a shadow pointing to that. And if you enjoy it outside the commands of Scripture, it'll mess you up. And if you enjoy it inside the parameters of Scripture, it will be an enjoyment, but only meant to point you to a greater enjoyment found in God. So don't just chase after sex. Chase after God and trust him even when it comes to sex that he knows what he's talking about. Amen? Amen? All right, let me pray. Father, I pray for this group. There is such temptation around us day in and day out to just go down a path of sexual um, idolatry and immorality. And it's tempting and there's, it's appealing. And we have a draw to it. And it never delivers. And it leaves us feeling guilty and full of regret and shame. And I don't want to leave here just committed not to do that. I hope by that your spirit we would leave here knowing that you're awesome. That at your right hand are pleasures evermore. That you know what you're talking about. That you can be trusted. Even when it comes to sex and fulfillment and joy, it's found in you, that you would be the treasure of our life. And we would express how much we love you and how much we trust you in every decision that we make, including our sexuality. We pray this in Jesus' name. We love Jesus. Amen.